Good morning, Plum Creek. Hey, uh, it, it is great to have you with us, and if you are here for the first time or if you're watching online for the first time, you picked a great day to join us. We're in this series, Asking for a Friend, and in this series, we're answering questions that came from people both inside and outside Plum Creek, and I got to tell you, uh, some of these questions are difficult to answer. In fact, sometimes our answers actually bring up more questions. And I want you to know, uh, it's, it's great to have these follow-up questions. And we'd love to help with those, too. Uh, just this week, uh, there was a couple who wanted to have a conversation about something from last week's sermon. And so we met, and we looked at Scripture, and we talked about how we interpret the Bible here at Plum Creek. And that kind of dialogue is a very healthy thing. So if you want to dig deeper on any of these topics, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me or any of the other ministers on staff or the elders here. And just a heads up, we're going to tackle some tough issues again today. And later on, I'll tell you about an opportunity where you can join a follow-up conversation if you want to be a part of that. Now, we're coming to the end of this series and we're trying to answer as many questions as we can, but I do apologize if we don't get to yours. Uh, we decided to answer the most commonly asked questions, or in some cases, we've combined questions that fall under uh, a general topic. So next Sunday, that's what we're doing, uh, we'll be looking at issues around the end times and the afterlife. So that should be fun. And today, we're, we're looking at the here and now. Some people submitted questions that were around this theme. How should Christians relate to the surrounding culture? Now, with this word culture, we want to know what we mean by that. And here's the definition we're using this morning. Culture refers to the common beliefs and values and attitudes and behaviors of a particular group of people. And in this case, we're talking about the relationship between the American church and American culture. And this is a complicated issue, isn't it? One person submitted this question. They said, with insane cultural pressures, how do we know when to stand up and speak out boldly about what the Bible says is truth? And we're going to wrestle with that question today. And we do need to look at the big picture, but we also need to look at specific issues. And that takes us to another question that was submitted. I'm paraphrasing a little here, but somebody asked, how should Christians respond to the rising wave of homosexuality and the non-binary, transgender, or genderless society that's becoming so popular? Now, if that question makes you uncomfortable, you're not alone. At the very least, you got me up here being uncomfortable with you. Uh, we all know that this issue is emotionally charged. It's politically charged. It's uh, one of the big hot-button topics right now, both outside and inside the church. And the truth is, it would be a lot easier for me to avoid this topic. But I have a question. I, I have a conviction about this. If the rest of the world is having this discussion and we never talk about it in the church, we create a divide between church life and everyday life. And I don't believe that's what God wants for the church. Now, 
having said that, I want to set a few expectations before we continue. First, if you are a parent uh, with kids in the room, I want you to know that I won't deal with LGBT issues in detail this morning. Uh, It's actually a small part of the sermon. But I will be referring to sexuality and homosexuality here. Uh, So if you'd rather take your children over to Kidstown or just out of the room, uh, it's absolutely fine to do that. Uh, Just so you know, though, my kids are going to hear this message because it's important for us to have these conversations as a family. Now, the other thing I want to mention is this. I know this topic hits close to home for many of us. And I have prayed a lot about this sermon. And I'm asking that God will speak to us through his word and that he will help us get a better understanding of how much he loves each one of us, all people, everywhere. So as we dive in here, let's go back to that general basic question. How should Christians relate to the culture? And this is an important issue, whether you're a Christian or not. Over the years, many Christians have gotten this wrong. They've not followed the example of Jesus. So uh, we need to go back to Scripture and see God's original design for the relationship between the church and the world. But before we do that, let's look at a a few ways that Christians have approached this issue. I'll give you just three examples. Number one, isolate. Number two, fight. And number three, assimilate. Now, if you choose to isolate, you believe that this world is an evil place. It's full of evil ideas. So the best thing you can do is just separate from the culture. You may not live in a cave, but you probably thought about it. Now, with option two, fight, You are not running away. You are going to engage. Uh, You will get out there and use persuasion or politics or power to impose Christian values on the rest of society. And then finally, if you choose that third approach, assimilate, you don't really think much about the tension between the church and the culture because you just blend in with society. You go with the flow. If something is popular, you just follow the crowd. Now, there's a lot we could say about these three options, and we could add several more to the list. But what is the biblical pattern? What approach did Jesus take? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out today. And this is going to be challenging for us because we like things to be simple, don't we? We like clear instructions that are easy to follow. Unfortunately, though, It's hard to live like Jesus. It's no easy thing to handle all of our relationships in a Christ-like way. And I can guarantee you that there's no way we will get this right 100% of the time. And to some extent, that's okay because God knows that we all need help and he will give us grace for the times when we mess this up and he will give us power through the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. But in order to become more like Jesus, we need to go back and see what God tells us through his word. So let's go ahead and do that. I'm going to give you three ways for Christians to relate to the culture based on what we see in Scripture. And these things will be easy to understand, but they'll be difficult to live out. So here's number one, two words, be different. Remember that word assimilate? 
That's not God's plan for the church. Now, I will say, in some areas, it's totally fine to go with the crowd. Uh, for example, if all your friends are rocking a mullet and you want to join the party, you have the freedom to do that. Uh, I don't know why you would want a mullet, but I haven't found any place in the Bible where God says mullets are sinful. I will keep looking. But, but like I said, in, in some areas, it's okay for Christians to be like the culture. But we also need to pay attention to verses like Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians here, and he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's think about that first phrase, do not conform to the pattern of this world. What does that phrase mean, the pattern of this world? Well, that's the culture, right? It's the common beliefs and behaviors and attitudes and values of a particular group of people. So here in America, followers of Jesus need to be aware that our culture is often in conflict with God's word and God's truth. So if you are a Christian, do you wrestle with these things on a regular basis? To be honest, it's very easy not to. Because we all have a lot going on, and it takes time and energy to try to figure out where and how God wants us to be different. But what does that verse say? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means we need to be different in the same way that Jesus was different. I'll give you a practical example of somebody trying to do this. I have a friend on Facebook named Chris. Uh, Chris is a minister out in Missouri, and he posted something this week that I thought was really good. He said, based on the abundance of ads for Halloween movies and scary movies, it seems that a personal PSA is in order. Now, if you are a fan of intense, edge-of-your-seat movies and shows, such as A Quiet Place, more power to you. All good. There's some great stuff in that category. But if you are sucked into shows or movies where people are murdered in violent and horrible ways by psychopaths, I would encourage you to just reconsider. Some of this stuff has gotten completely dark and evil, and it's not good for our hearts and minds. Some of them, many of them, should probably fall into the hard pass category. Your call, just a courtesy mention from a friend who cares about your heart. Now, I happen to agree with Chris here, but I also like what he's doing. He's wrestling with a cultural trend, and he developed a conviction that it's a bad idea to participate in this cultural trend. And now he's encouraging others in a polite and sincere way to do their own wrestling. See, here's the bottom line. It's so easy to follow the pattern of this world. But if we're not paying attention and we're not seeking God on these things, we're assimilating. It's as simple as that. But if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you will be different in some significant ways. So I have to ask you, if you are a follower of Christ, where are you going against the flow? In what ways are you living a countercultural life? How are you shining like a light in a dark world? 
If it's difficult to answer these questions, it's time to do some soul searching. Because God has called the church to live as aliens. <laughs> we see that in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Uh, in that verse, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now, based on that command, we know that we should not assimilate. But what should we do? Isolate. After all, you're not going to follow the crowd if you're nowhere near the crowd. Well, I just read 1 Peter 2.11, but we need to go on and read verse 12. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they see you, they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So that's very interesting, isn't it? Live good lives among the pagans, not hiding out in a cave. And the, the potential is huge here because if Christians represent Jesus well, others will be drawn to him. Others will find a life-changing relationship with Jesus, and God will get the glory. And this is what God wants for all people because he loves all people, even those who are far from him. So that brings up a second challenging way for Christians to relate to the culture. Don't see people as the enemy. Now, this can be difficult. Because we all know people who have bad ideas or dangerous beliefs. And we all know people who do bad things. But remember what I said, right? These instructions are easy to understand and difficult to follow. So we need to go back to the example of Jesus again and again. As I was working on this sermon, an image came into my mind. I thought of the image of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem just a few days before his crucifixion. What Jesus did in this moment was amazing. Let me read this for you. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So let's get this picture in our heads. Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey, and he's looking at the skyline of Jerusalem, and his eyes are full of tears. He has a deep love for the people in this town, even though many of them chose to be his enemy. They, they rejected him. But you don't see animosity here, do you? Instead, there's grief. There's love. Jesus is still for these people. He wants them to find peace. Their relationship with God had been severed because of their sin and their pride. They were in rebellion against their creator. But Jesus longed for an end to that war. He wanted the people of Jerusalem to be reconciled to God, to, to live in a restored relationship with him, not just here in this life, but for all eternity now think about that. If Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived, and he still saw people this way, how much more should Christians see people this way? 
We who are guilty of many sins. When I look at Jesus, I know that I have a lot of growing to do. I need to see people the way Jesus sees them. And by the way, if you're listening right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, please know this is how he sees you. I don't know what you've experienced from Christians in the past, but Jesus wants good things for you. He is for you. So be open to what he wants to do in your life. But for all of us who follow Christ, let's remember this image of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And instead of shaking a fist at the culture, let's learn to love others so much that we grieve over anyone who is separated from God. We can't just do that from a distance, can we? Because Jesus approached people right where they were. He came close. And this is probably the biggest challenge for Christians relating to the culture. We need to follow the example of Jesus in both grace and truth. I've preached about this many times over the years. And do you know why I keep repeating myself? It's because we still haven't gotten this right, myself included. So what was it that Jesus did? Well, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 14. John said, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and love, but he was also full of truth. Think about it. When Jesus interacted with others, did he show compassion to people who were ostracized or marginalized or devalued? And did he offer forgiveness to people who didn't deserve it? You bet he did. But did he also preach and teach some very difficult things that people did not want to hear? You bet he did. If you have some teddy bear image of Jesus, as somebody who would never confront anyone, I encourage you to go back and read the Gospels. On the other side, if, if you think of Jesus as someone who was quick to condemn and slow to forgive, I also encourage you to go back and read the Gospels. But this is what God calls us to do. He calls us to follow the example of Jesus, not to isolate or fight or assimilate, but to engage with others in both grace and truth. And you know, there are two easy ways for us to get this wrong. Uh, first, some Christians are long on grace and short on truth. They'll say, hey, you are fine just the way you are. It doesn't matter what you do. Just live however you think you should live, and I'm sure God will say it's okay at the end. That's not what we see in Scripture. Jesus is a loving Savior, but he's also a righteous judge. Now, on the other hand, some Christians are light on grace and heavy on truth. They're out there like, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and you better watch out because God's wrath is coming. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many times when Christians need to speak up for what's right. We should be a positive influence in our culture. It's a good thing when we help people understand that God's way is the best way. It's a good thing when we help people know that it is dangerous and foolish to go against God's plan and God's will. 
But we also need to remember two important things. Number one, we can't expect people to live out Christian values if they haven't given their lives to Christ. And number two, when we speak truth, we always, always need to speak the truth in love. We need to follow the example of Jesus, who was full of both truth and grace. But to understand how this works, we need to get specific, don't we? And this is where I need to bring up the LGBT question. How should Christians respond to what's happening in our culture? You'd have to be living under a rock not to notice that the cultural values and attitudes in this area have been changing at a pace that is mind-boggling. Uh, just a few years ago, I didn't even notice when Pride Month came around. And these days, it seems like every month is Pride Month. And here's the reality. With every year that passes, the traditional biblical views around sex and marriage are more and more out of step with our culture. So again, how should Christians respond to this? Well, we know how we should respond. We need to follow the example of Jesus, grace and truth. So let's look at each of these characteristics in the context of uh, the LGBT issues. On one side, we do need to stand firm in God's truth. The culture is constantly changing, but the Bible hasn't changed. Right now, there are many people who condemn what the Bible teaches. There are also people who will tell you that the Bible doesn't say what it clearly says. Now, I've done studying on this, and I know the arguments that are out there. I won't go into detail right now, but I see no compelling evidence that shows us we need to reinterpret what Scripture says about sexuality. And just to make sure we're clear on this, what do we see in God's Word? Well, from the very earliest passages in the book of Genesis, the Bible teaches that God designed sexual intimacy as an expression of love and commitment that should only take place between a man and a woman in the safety and the context of a marriage relationship. Jesus talks about God's design in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6. He's actually quoting the book of Genesis here, and he says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And from that starting point, Scripture consistently teaches that there's only one form of sex that is holy and acceptable to God. It's the sexual relationship within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. Everything outside of that box is considered sexual immorality. And that phrase includes any straight sexual activity outside of marriage, any same-sex activity, and even lustful thoughts. All of those things are outside God's design and God's plan. Now, is that stance popular? <laughs> Not at all. Our culture says that love is love, and consenting adults can do whatever they want. 
But the truth is, God knows a lot more about love than we do. God is love. So he gets to define what love is. And people may disagree with his definition, but for all of us who follow Jesus, we have to choose God's truth over cultural opinions, which are going to keep changing anyway. So this is part of our challenge today. Christians are called to stand firm in God's truth. However, we can't neglect the other side of this challenge. Christians are also called to love no matter what. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he makes a strong statement about people who choose to sin against God. And this may not sound loving at first. Paul says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at that list. For some of us, it it might be easy to point out homosexuality. But what about everything else up there? What about greed? Anybody here ever struggle with greed? Or or what about sexual sin? I mean, that, that phrase refers to any sex outside of marriage, including lust. That includes pornography. How many people in the church have struggled with that sin? There's also that blanket statement at the beginning, those who do wrong... Uh, That means none of us are off the hook here. Everybody's on this list somewhere. The bottom line is, none of us deserve to inherit the kingdom of God. But there's good news, because this passage doesn't end here. In the next verse, Paul says, Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Because of God's unfailing love and His extravagant grace, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which paid the penalty for our sins, every single one of us have been given the opportunity to experience and receive forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And yes, It's true that many people don't have that relationship yet. But don't forget, how does God look at people who are currently far from him? Well, he he looks at them in the same way that Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem. He grieves, and he loves, and he longs for everyone to be reconciled to him. So let's learn, as the church to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And with that in mind, let's think about how Christians should relate to the LGBT community. First, we need to start with humility. The only way this issue is simple is if you are not close with anyone who is gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. When you get to know someone who falls into any of those categories, and when you're really willing to listen You often learn that many of us have preconceived notions that are just not accurate. 
For example, uh, years ago, a lot of Christians would say that people simply choose this lifestyle. I've learned that the reality is more complex. I've spoken with uh, many LGBT folks who said, you know, if I could change my desires, I would. That would make my life far less complicated. And let's all be clear about something. None of us choose our temptations, do we? You don't say, well, I choose to struggle with anger. I choose to struggle with materialism. Or I'd like to struggle with pride. It doesn't work that way, does it? But in the case of homosexuality, some Christians have made others feel like trash simply because they're tempted in a different way. But all of us are tempted to sin, right? Even Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's only a sin when you give in to temptation. So let's not make people feel less than just because their temptation is different than ours. Instead, let's, let's admit that we all need help when it comes to living like Jesus. We all need to be a part of a healthy church community where we're surrounded by others who will encourage us and support us and hold us accountable. Let's not make it difficult for people to find that support. Let's love no matter what. Let's extend grace to anyone who will receive it. You know what that means? That means we don't use the Bible as a weapon to drop the hammer on somebody. Now, some could say, well, according to Ephesians chapter 6, the Word of God is a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. And I absolutely agree with that. Uh, God's Word is a powerful weapon. But there is another important truth in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's this. Yeah, the Bible is a weapon. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Listen to Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is a spiritual battle. Satan is the one who wants to take us down and destroy us. So let's not see people as the enemy. Every human being was made and created in God's image. Every human being is someone Jesus died for. That's true whether you are straight or gay or anything else. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know what it's like to have a child who comes out as gay or lesbian or transgender. I don't know what it's like to experience same-sex attraction. Uh, I haven't lived in that reality. I haven't walked in those shoes. So I need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I need to be quick to love and slow to judge. I need to grieve over anyone who hasn't recognized that Jesus is the only one who can bring peace I need to have that same longing for every person in this world to be reconciled to God. So where do we go from here? Well, obviously, uh, what I've talked about today is only the tip of the iceberg. And like I said earlier, my answers to these questions may have just raised more questions. So I want to make you an offer. 
two offers, actually. First, if you're looking for resources that would be helpful on any of these topics, uh, I'd be glad to give you some recommendations. I have found some, some good stuff out there. Uh, just reach out, and, and I'd uh, be glad to get back to you. Second, as I was preparing for this sermon, I felt led to do something that I've never done before. I want to invite you to a Bible study and a prayer group that will focus on LGBT issues. See, there's no way I could give this topic the time that it deserves in just one sermon, even if we were here all day, and none of us want that. So if you have more questions, or if you want to know more about what the Bible says, or you disagree with things I've said here, or if this sermon hits close to home in your family or in yourself, I'd love to set aside some time to study Scripture together. I'm no expert here, but we can all learn from each other. We can all seek God together. So my plan is to meet for four weeks on Sunday nights at 6.30 p.m. starting November 7th. And if you want to be a part of this, all I ask is that you send me an email so I can know who's coming. Doug at PlumCreek.org. And I'm confident that through this, God can help all of us become more like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray. Father, we've talked about some difficult issues here. But <laughs> none of these things are too complicated for you. And Lord, just at the end of the day, help us remember Jesus looking at the city of Jerusalem, longing for everyone to find peace. Lord, may we be more like Jesus, and may we represent Jesus in this world as a church. And I pray for anyone here who needs to find that peace, that they will be open to you and what you want to give. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.